For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more And all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray now that as we look at this prayer of Paul's, you would teach us and that you would uh, help us to grasp your love for us and your power that is at work in us. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please do keep uh, Ephesians open. We'll be uh, going forward and going backwards in the book of Ephesians as we try and understand what Paul is praying for today. Where does true power lie today in our world? It's a topical question being played out in the news as we speak, isn't it? If you open up the BBC News app, you'll see that Russia uh, is in the news, increasingly aligned with China on the one hand, and then we have America aligned with Europe on the other. We have the East and we have the West. And that seems to be the power struggle at one level of our time, doesn't it? The focal point or the flashpoint of this power at the moment is the Ukraine. Does the Ukraine turn east to Russia or does it turn west to Europe and America? That's what's happening at the moment. That's the power duel that we see in the news. And the question is, who will be proven most powerful? And likewise, it was a power struggle that was taking place in Ephesus at the time of Paul writing this letter to the Ephesian church, and Laura read some of it, what was happening in Ephesus for us in Acts 19. It gives us a flavour of the confrontation that took place in Ephesus between, on the one hand, those that had put their faith in the power of Christ, and those in the city that were putting their trust in the god Artemis, whose temple was sited in Ephesus. And in Acts 19, 11 to 20, a little bit before what uh, Laura read to us, we read of the power of Christ at work driving out evil spirits. And we're told of a group um, of people who were magicians. They practiced sorcery, dark magic, and they were converted to Christ. They saw Christ's power and they became Christians. And they decided collectively to burn all their magic scrolls, all the kind of stuff you need to practice magic, They decided to burn it all in a big bonfire to show that they now submitted to the power of Christ. 
And we're told the collective value of that, if you do the maths, work out what a day's wage is now and then, the collective value of that bonfire was £5 million. Luke, the writer, comments in Acts 19, verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. God's power in Christ, evident in Ephesus on the one hand, and on the other hand, we see the claimed power of the god Artemis, who dwells in her temple. Her power seems to stem from the carpenters in Ephesus, who had their roaring business making these mini Artemis shrines, selling for a lot of money, I imagine. And they were upset that the power of Christ was destroying their business model. And they stir up a backlash, and an assembly is called, which we read about, and the city clerk addresses the crowd in Acts 19, verse 35. He says this, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven. Artemis, or Christ, who had the power? That was the question for the Ephesian church at the time of Paul writing, and it's a live question for us today. Not Artemis, but any number of other gods. Do we still believe and trust in the power of Christ, or are we swayed by these other gods of our culture and time? And Paul's emphatic answer to that question in Ephesus so far in Ephesians has been, yes, we can trust God's plan and his ability to fulfill his plan because in Christ because he holds ultimate power. And Paul gives us two very re- real reasons that demonstrate Christ, God's power in Christ. Two miracles that all other claims to power need to measure up to to even be considered as most powerful. And the first one we saw in chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Flick back with me. And specifically verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. God is able through the power, his power at work, to produce life from death. Spiritually first, and then physically. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos has reportedly invested some of his money in anti-aging research, which could add an extra 50 years to the human lifespan. He's an investor in, I think it's Altos Labs, is a company, if you want to invest in it too, a company working on reprogramming technology to extend life. I think it's fair to say that Jeff Bezos is a pretty powerful man in our world, by the world's standards, but 50 years on a human lifespan is not comparable to what God does. He brings life from death. Secondly, second miracle, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, the miracle of reconciling enemies in Christ. The great division in Ephesus was between Gentile and Jew. On the one hand, uh, the one, 
the Jews on the inside of God's promises, uh, the other, the, the Gentile on the outside. But in Christ, when Christ came, both come to be united under Christ. Both have access to his grace. Ephesians 2, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. If you were to walk into the Ephesian church back in the first century, you would meet a pretty eclectic group of believers, even more diverse than us. You would meet the children's church leader whose background was in black magic and sorcery. Perhaps manning the welcome desk would be the Gentile whose background was worshipping the temple in the temple of Artemis. And then there would be the Jew sitting on the back row uh, thinking that they were Slightly better than everyone else, uniquely blessed by God. But now, through Christ, all are united, all are equal under Christ. Such is the power of Christ to break down hostility and to create a new body, the church, united together by Christ. And it's interesting to see, isn't it, when you scan the world today, God's church is being built throughout all the hostile nations of the world. China, Russia, Europe. America, one church united under Christ, loving one another, even loving her enemies. This is the second miracle of God's power, the creation of the church, a body united in love. So Paul says two great miracles that demonstrate God's power in Christ. Life from death, unity from division. And then we get on to the verses today where Paul prays and we see Paul acknowledging where true power lies. And then he is appealing for, the, for, for that power to be at work in the Ephesians. So if you look at our, our verses today, verses 16, verse 18 and verse 20, Paul is appealing to God for God's power to be at work and available to the Ephesian Christians. And I want you to notice the contrast. On the one hand, you've got an all-powerful God to whom Paul is praying And then you've got Paul himself on his knees in prison. Paul is a picture of weakness, but he is appealing to the one who he knows has all the power. It was the Lord, after all, who said to Paul in the Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And it's an encouragement to us, isn't it, to pray that we come not in strength, when we pray, we come in weakness. It can look weak and pathetic sometimes, can't it? When we pray, but we are appealing to the one who has all the power. Well, Paul, in Paul's weakness in prison, he has two requests that we're going to look at briefly in the prayer. Uh, firstly, the Ephesians would know God's power to strengthen them in faith. That the Ephesians would know God's power to strengthen them in faith. And secondly, that they would know Christ's love. We'll look at each one briefly in turn. First of all, know God's power to strengthen you in faith. Know God's power to strengthen you in faith. 
Have a look at verse, um, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice how Paul is calling on Father, Son, and Spirit. All the power of the Trinity, Paul is appealing to, to be at work in the hearts of the Christian Christians in Ephesus. And notice it is in their hearts. Verse 16, their inner beings. Verse 17, their hearts. Here Paul is praying for all the power of the Trinity to be at work in the hearts of the Ephesians, the very centre of their beings, the seat of their emotions, the character of their will. That Christ would dwell there and shape the Ephesian Christians and strengthen them in their heart. And at one level, it's a fairly strange prayer request, isn't it? After all, Paul is writing to Christians, and Christians have Christ in them by faith at the point that they put their trust in Christ for the first time. How does that work? Well, one of the reoccurring phrases in Ephesians is, in him, the Christian is in Christ. So why is Paul praying for something that the Christian in, Christian in Ephesus already has? Well, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 reminds us that it is God who brings spiritual life in the first place. Life from death. And if that's the case, then it's surely the case too that it is God who sustains our faith every day, day by day, week by week. Chapter 2, verse 8. Of Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So Paul is praying for Christ to continue to dwell in their hearts because God grants the gift of faith in the first place. And so Paul prays that that faith would continue as they first started in faith. But they would not be diverted to put their trust in the, the God of the day. God Artemis in his temple in Ephesus. But they would continue on in faith in Christ, that they would continue trusting him and what he has done for them. But secondly, Paul prays this request such that Christ would make his home in their hearts at an ever deeper level, day by day, week by week. I've got a friend who's recently bought a cottage and it needs a lot of work. He's not even able to live in it. He needs to fix the roof, sort out the running water the toilet in, etc, etc. It's not habitable. But when Christ comes to dwell in the Christian, he doesn't wait till we get to a kind of certain level of being able to live in. Christ dwells in us from day one. He's got a lot of renovation work to do. And that's perhaps what Paul is praying here for the Christians. That Christ will continue to increasingly make his home in the Ephesian Christians' hearts that they would increasingly be shaped by Christ a little bit more each day, that Christ would be making his home in their hearts. His character, his values, his heart would be increasingly be theirs and ours if we are trusting in Christ today. So the first part of Paul's prayer is a reminder, isn't it, that we can take our faith for granted, but it's something to give thanks for and to continue to pray for in our hearts and in each other's hearts day by day, week by week, that Christ will continue to dwell in us by faith 
and that we as a church would be strengthened by the Father, Son, Spirit, such that we keep trusting Christ. Faith is a gift. It's a miracle. We should praise God when we see it in one another, and we should keep praying for it in those that don't have it yet. Without God's power in each of our lives, we are dead. That's the message of Ephesians, isn't it? Praise God for his power at work in you and I that has brought life to us. Well, that was Paul's first request for the Ephesians to be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. The second request is much simpler, to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, verse 17, end of verse 17 through to 19. And this part of the prayer is a petition that the Christians in Ephesus would know the love of Christ and that they would be able to grasp grasp its magnitude. Verse 18, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, that you may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Tim Keller speaks of a, a lady in his congregation who lost her mother. She was deeply saddened by her death, as she explained to her pastor that her mother had made it clear to her throughout her life that she didn't love her. Her mother loved uh, this daughter's siblings, but she did not love her. Longing to know her mother's love, this daughter was distraught as her mother died, and she had never got to know and heard that her mother loved her. And Tim Keller comments, in this time of immense pain and sadness. Wonderfully, the daughter found Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 and 16. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 and 16. It says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, says the Lord, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. And Tim Keller comments, at this moment, through God's word, this lady came to know Christ's love at a deeper level than ever before. Why does Paul pray for the Ephesians, that they would grasp the depth of Christ's love? It's a question I've been asking myself as I've been preparing this sermon. And I think there are three reasons why we need to know Christ's love. And hopefully, as I share them, we'll be um, encouraged to pray this for one another and to pray this for ourselves, that we will be a church that will be gripped by the love of Christ. And the first one, I think, is found in chapter 6. Flick forward to chapter 6. We'll get there in May or June, probably. Uh, But what you get there is a a picture of a soldier being dressed and prepared for battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, Uh, tells us that the soldier is battling in order to stand in faith. He is fighting the devil's schemes. He is fighting the rulers, authorities and powers of this dark world. And Paul encourages the Ephesians to put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, they are able to stand their ground in faith. And notice that the first and the last bits of armour and weaponry that um, Paul tells the Um, Ephesian Christians to put on. Verse 14, chapter 6, verse 14. 
he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, and then flip down to verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul wants us to know and grasp the truth of Christ's love in order that we might stand our ground in the day of evil, in the day of temptation. And it's why the core business of Grace Church Broccoli is to teach the Bible so that we stand in truth, that we're protected from the evil schemes of the devil. Um, so when you come to church, or when you go to fellowship group, or even when you read the Bible on your own, you are arming yourself. You're arming yourself with Christ to fight the devil's schemes with the armour that God himself provides us. I think that's why, um, firstly, that's why Paul prays that we might have the knowledge and that we might be able to grasp truth. And in this case, it's the love of Christ because it's important because it helps us to stand against the evil one. And secondly, Paul prays that we might know the love of Christ in order that we might grasp the gospel more deeply. This time, flick back to the beginning of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, that we looked at at the beginning of January. And verse 4 of chapter 1, it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What was God's motivation to include us in his plan for the world? Verse 4, his love. What was the motivation to hatch a plan to unite everything under Christ? His love for Christ, the one he loves. It's interesting when people give a scientific explanation of the origin of the universe, they talk about the Big Bang, the explosion of energy. The, the, the theory goes that the forms the universe. It says here, if, if you were to describe the same beginnings from a relational perspective, from you, you would describe it in terms of an explosion of love from within the Trinity that goes outward to include us, to those he chose in Christ from before the world began. Therefore, to know God's love is to know God's plan, to know the gospel. God's motivation for sending Christ to die for your sins instead of you is love. You cannot, cannot separate out his love and his plan for you and I in Christ. And Paul goes on in the present to speak of the, the love which surpasses knowledge. You will never fully grasp the depth of God's love, of God's love for us in Christ, until we see Christ face to face. And then the final reason I think Paul prays this prayer so that we might follow God's example. And this time, look at chapter 4, verse 32. Right at the end of chapter 4, it says this. Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We, we can't follow God's example unless we have grasped Christ's love for us. If you and I aspire to godliness, we aspire to love one another. Paul prays that we might grasp the love of Christ so that we might stand against the evil one, 
so that we might know the gospel and God's plan more deeply, and so that we might follow God's example in Christ. And then Paul finishes the prayer with a helpful summary in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We see, haven't we, that God is more powerful than anything in Ephesus in the first century. God is more powerful than anything in London in 2022. And this is what Paul wants us to grasp, the power of God and the love love of Christ for us who believe. And if you want one verse to memorise and have asked our um, sermons in the first half of Ephesians, I would um, commend to you chapter 3, verse 20. It's a useful summary, I think, of the first half of Ephesians. And it's a reminder, isn't it? Although we feel weak and unlovable, in Christ we are loved perfectly and held securely by God's power. I was leaving my house for church the other week and um, our lovely neighbour, who was coming back for a walk, um, shouted out to me, you know there's a Grace Church in Beckenham now? I said, no, I didn't And I looked it up, and sure enough, there is now a Grace Church, Beckenham, praise the Lord. Um, They're meeting, um, what's the park? Beckenham Place Park. And I thought, isn't that amazing? 2,000 odd years on from the church in Ephesus, the church continues to grow through the power of God in Christ. Artemis, the god of Ephesus, in the first century, I think it's died out, I haven't heard many temple plants, exposed as a false god to be replaced by other false ideologies and gods in our time, no doubt. But these also will one day die out. In contrast, God continues to be glorified for his power at work in Christ, in and through Christ, for generations past and generations future. That's the power of God. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.